All the best music, sports, and podcasts right now on FAULradio.com. All right. Good afternoon, and welcome back to another episode of the Below the Yellow Line podcast. I'm your host, Jolani Pavlon. Along with me, Steve Brown. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. Welcome back, indeed. It's Monday, March 27th. And before we get started into our motorsports discussion, before we get into what we are here to talk about on a weekly basis, I want to send a big special shout out and congratulations to the FAU Owls basketball team on another very impressive win in their NCAA tournament venture. This has been a historic run for the Owls. And when they beat on Saturday night, who was it? Kansas State. Kansas State. We are now Final Four. Final Four bound, and we just need two more wins. So we can be crowned champions, but if not, oh well. At least they proved that they can get there, and they have done it. They've gone to the Final. They're finally making their first appearance in the Final Four. Right now they play Saturday against San Diego State. At 6 o'clock, so this is going to be interesting to see what will happen. On top of, you have another South Florida team that actually made it there too, the Miami Hurricanes. Yep. So there's a possible chance that we might see Miami against FAU in the finals. That would be wicked, but first they have to face, who's it? Um, You had uh, UConn against Miami and San Diego State. San Diego State. Against FAU. They have to face San Diego State. On the first of April, which is this Saturday, in Houston, Texas, and then on March the third or April the third, it'd be the final game. The championship game would be on the line, and every everybody's just we're here at FAU. I have to say, the energy, the excitement has been all over campus. It's a great place to be right now, and um, just this team in its entirety have come so far. So big time congratulations to the Owls basketball team on their run here in the NCAA tournament. And by the way, if you want to go to attend this game as a student, or if you're not a student, there are portals out there. Last night, I believe, or maybe it's tonight, I I will double check right away to get it uh, for sure. I've been on this texting conversation. With a friend. It's today. You still have opportunity to send it your ticket requests as a student or not a student through the FAU portals until 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time today, March the 27th. So, Joe, what's the? it'd be amazing for the possibility of having FAU against Miami. It'd be a South Florida showdown. South Side State rivalry. Sorry, Joe. And you know what? I think the Owls deserve everything that they worked hard for. The Owls um, deserve what they worked hard. Everyone, you got to remember, all these teams that are there except for UConn are making their first appearances there. So all these teams, we're going to get a first-time winner if they can, uh, Miami can sweep by UConn. It's much like what you see at Talladega Super Speedway when they keep crashing on the final 20 laps. <laughs> or... If Austin Dillon didn't win the summer race at Daytona, it would have been a first-time winner for sure. But it's going to come down to the line of who's going to win it, 
who's going to play their hearts out, who's going to work harder to want to win it. And all both games happen this Saturday. You know what this analogy reminds me of? Actually, the ARCA race at Daytona, where whoever was going to win, it was going to be a big upset for them. Yes. And like, you know, Greg Van Dahl's taking the win. And I think we kind of have that Greg Van Dahl's energy in us right now. And that is, that is super cool to watch. So let's go, Owls. Um, can't wait to see what happens with this team down the road, um, especially in years to come. But if you have the abilities and the resources to go, go. Anyways, while that was happening, we had a very interesting race weekend at Circuit of the Americas for the NASCAR Cup Series, which they made their first road course um, appearance of the season here in 2023, and cars are now turning left and right for the first time in the new year. And there are a lot of storylines that uh, took place in the weekend. We Uh, had drivers like Jimmy Johnson in the race, Jensen Butler. Button. Button. My apologies. Kimi Rackigan. Uh Who was the other? Jordan Taylor. Yes. Connor Daly. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I feel bad for Connor Daly. I have, he needs another ride to see him actually compete. That ride wasn't the greatest. My team doesn't have the equipment or anything. They only We saw it at Daytona. They... That car got lucky just to make it into the duels. Yeah. All right. Well, we have the results um, on hand. And actually, I'm going to pull up racing reference. But in the end, it was very close. Tyler Reddick taking his fourth career win, his first of the season, and more importantly, his first with his new venture out at 2311 Racing. He takes Toyota to victory for the first time this season. Toyota had a shaky start. I think this post-Kyle Busch era of Toyota was really going to put Toyota to the test. Is Tyler Reddick a good fixture for the years to come? I believe so. I feel bad for Tyler Reddick, though, because he's not going to get race one diecast out of this. No, Lionel don't want to... No, it's not because of Lionel. It's because of Monster. No. As Monster Energy does want to promote, uh, advertise their uh, energy drinks because kids can actually get a hold of it, so they don't want to advertise it, but yet we're advertising it on the track. Yeah, not sure why that's on the same plate as beer, but it don't matter. In Different any restrictions. Yeah, Tyler Reddick. If there was anybody who was going there, race, it better have been him. I mean, even after all the overtimes and uh, what we saw, the cautionless stages for the first time ever. Will since, it be? Will it be? Had a shot. There was one driver really that got that was that stood between Tyler Reddick and Victor Lane, and it was William Byron. But let's go ahead and look at the results here. Tyler Reddick takes the win. It's his fourth career victory, and three of his four wins have been on road courses. You yep. all different tracks from Road America to Indianapolis. His third win was at the Texas Motor Speedway, and his fourth win is in Austin, Texas on the road course. So this is his niche. He's doing very well at them, and now we're not only we're seeing him finally pick it up on the ovals, but he's getting it done here. That's a dangerous combination right there. 2311 racing. I know they're still a very young team. Um, what is this? Like their fifth win or something? Fourth win? Two. Three, yes, they're only the fourth win. Fourth win? Yeah. One with Bush. And the other two with Bubba Walls. This tells me that it's a good combination. And uh, they finally are getting all the uh, cobwebs cleared out. We'll see what happens down the road. 
Second place is a very impressive run by Kyle Busch. I know he has not done too well in the road courses in recent years, especially towards the latter parts of the, the, the Gen 6 era and definitely during the next Gen era. But Kyle Busch is stepping it up again. And though he never led a single lap, that is a run of a championship contending driver right there. And that will tell a lot of people like me that he's going to be up front running and watch out for Kyle Busch at Richmond. Alex Bowman, speaking of him, he won at Richmond, comes close again to winning at Coda. This time, third place, not leading any laps. It just shows you how dominant the, the two drivers of Tyler Reck and William Byron were. Ross Chastain, same thing. He never led a lap. Last year's winner comes home fourth, and he could have been a lot worse if you saw the end of the race. And William Byron, a pole sitter, who picked up his ninth career pole on Saturday, went on to lead 28 laps on Sunday. He really had a good car at the restarts, but in the end, it was... Not meant to be. He got shuffled a little bit on the uh, on the final uh, laps and comes home fifth. Austin Sindrick just had bad strategy, really. Led two laps, started third, finished in sixth. Ricky Sinas Jr., a nice run for him on seventh place. Same with uh, Chris Buescher in eighth. He led a lap there. And how about Ty Gibbs? Another career-best finish of ninth for the second week in a row for the um, grandson of Joe Gibbs. And... For a kid who's, you know, faced a lot of adversity this year at the start of the season, starting, you know, back in uh, 17th place, not really seeing much of, much of the top 15 at all, he really turned the dial towards the end of that race. And Todd Gillen, another driver who's seen a lot of adversity this year, who we don't know, you know, his Cup Series feature looks pretty uncertain, finishes in P10 after starting... 36 in qualifying. There were 39 cars in this race. It was competitive from the start. <clears throat> Let's go down the order. Corey LaJoy, another solid run. Michael McDowell recovered from issues. Kevin Harvick uh, stayed out of trouble. Chase Briscoe and Kyle Larson somehow was lucky to even make it to the top 15 after that day he had. And Chase Briscoe. Uh, let just go down the order. Denny Hamlin had some problems late in the race. Smart Tricks Jr. had some flashes of... Uh, Good performance, but it just wasn't meant to be. <clears throat> Sorry, just been up and down today. Jensen Button, congratulations to the 2009 Formula One World Champion, Jensen Button, who comes home in P18 in his NASCAR Cup Series debut, driving the Mobile One Ford for Rick Ware Racing, getting assistance from Stuart Haas in the process. Jensen Button almost fell out because of fatigue and heat exhaustion as it was uh, later known in this morning's uh, reports. Button started 24th, and he really stayed out of trouble and did a great job all around. So congrats to him. <clears throat> See down the order, Noah Gregson had a nice run of qualifying, just wasn't meant to be finished P20. Somehow Ryan Blaney got out of this 21st. That was a disastrous weekend for the 12 team. Yes. Um Eric Jones, a good race gone bad. Jordan Taylor making his NASCAR Cup Series debut, driving the nine car for Hedrick Motorsports and for Chase Elliott. A brilliant qualifying run. It was the best of the road course ringers in fourth, but I guess reality sunk in that he was racing a cup car and not a Corvette GT Daytona car. And it got to him, and uh, that's why he finished 24th, but not a bad run for what's worth. Looking down the order here, we have um, Daniel Suarez. 
looked like he had a top five run, maybe better, led one lap. Just wasn't meant to be. Got shuffled around by Bowman and other drivers and 27th place for the driver from Monterey, Mexico. Joey Logano also led a single lap and finished a spot behind. And Kimi Raikkonen gets a career best of 29th in his NASCAR Cup Series run for Trackhouse. Let's go down the order. Eric Amarola was the last car to finish the race in peak 30. Christopher Bell led a lap. He was only of the retired drivers to lead a lap. Was taken out in that late race accident. Seemed to have a f bit of a flash there with pit strategy, but just didn't work out. Um, Ryan Priest, multiple accidents to come out. Austin Dillon, AJ Allmendinger had a nice early race run, but it just wasn't meant to be. Brad Kozlowski, gutting, gutting run for him. Connor Daly did what made the most out of a pretty badly made car, I'm sorry to say, from uh, Money Team Racing. Lasted only 16 laps. The transmission broke. Bubba Wallace lasted 10 laps before his accident with Kyle Larson. Jimmy Johnson and Ty Dillon were taken out in the first lap incident. And... We have to talk about some of the things that we saw from this race. NASCAR tried some new things here. First, they removed the uh, stage cautions at the end of road courses, and this is going to happen for all the road courses this year. Second of all, they added the choose cone for the road courses for the first time. Let's first talk about the stage caution, the stage ending caution on road courses. Do you think this should be limited to road courses only, or should NASCAR go ahead and make this Permanent for all races. On getting rid of what again? Removing the stage ending caution. Yes. I have tried it in a few leagues, um, on simulators before, in a few leagues. It can actually work a lot better. Yes, we did have a halfway caution in there, but that was about it. No matter what, everyone still had to strategize. Honest opinion, yeah, I think they should. But they got to take baby steps. And what would those baby steps be? Doing it on road courses first and then work towards different outer tracks. I think super speedways should have this. We should be, you know, going three, four wide to the caution flag. Well, it depends. Really all depends. I mean, haven't we seen enough big crashes at the end of stages before? Yeah. And I think Thanks, it, the, teams, the teams would probably be happy not to worry about that. Maybe if the yellow flag was removed. Maybe if stages were removed from those events. Well, Incentivize running from start to finish at its entirety. If anything, let's go back to the chase format. With just points. Now, that's a bit... We still have to make baby steps to that, too. But I think that the road courses took the biggest hit since the start of 2017 when the stage racing rules in NASCAR began. And it really, really hit the road course racing quality hardest, especially in the lower series before in 2019 when the decision for um, <clears throat> not having full pit crews and live pit stops that the standalones kicked in. Now, I could see stage cautions being necessary if NASCAR's going to still have that pit roll yeah. for the standalone races. But for Cup Series weekends, I think... All series on tracks that have live pit stops, which we would obviously exclude Bristol Dirt from that. And I don't even know if they still go to Knoxville, but 
You get the point yeah. here. They should do that. They should remove the stage ending caution because it kills the quality of the races. And how is any driver in the lower series supposed to understand the concept of live pit stops when they know they have a caution flag guaranteed to help them? It made the racing quality a lot more fun, I will say. We saw some teams pit near the end of the stage anyways. Yeah. You know, they're trying to stay out because they could get the points. But for those who had to pit, they actually had to think harder and not rely on that caution flag. And for those who had to stay out, the same thing could be said for them. And we got really good racing out of this. It was a fun product. And even the truck race was interesting. I was expecting to see a lot of stop-and-go restarts in the truck yeah. series. That wasn't even really the case. It actually turned out to be in the cup race. And maybe it had been in the Xfinity event. But um, and, and also... The choose rule, what do you think about that on road courses? Or even being double file at all in restarts? I like double file. I love the choose rule. It, play, it gives him more opportunity to play. Look how Kyle Busch was. Technically, he was second, and he chooses to go behind Tyre Raddick, making him look like he's in third, but yet he's still getting out of it. Right. But about the double file restarts, is it still practical that we have them at road courses? Remember, this is a world that came from short track racing. Not road courses. Well, you want to take it for NASCAR only. It came, it started with exhibition races only. And they made it. No, double file restart. Oh, yes. Then in 09, they made it permanent on all races. So I'd rather not be having restart with, uh, restarting with, um. With cars on the inside? Yeah. They, they, They never did that on road courses. And even if that rule was in place, NASCAR would have them at the tail end of the road courses. But I feel like that the teams are not going to be happy with damaged equipment. We saw in those last restarts, maybe the race would have been a lot less destructive if we had a single-file restart. Probably. And let's be real. We have to adjust to the style of road course racing. That's going to take me to my next few points. If we can make, you know, except for the initial start, the restarts can be single-file. We can remove the choose cone, make it less stressful for the officials. For the teams, the drivers. With that said, I think NASCAR should also remove the guaranteed caution when rain starts. They haven't done that, even even though we didn't have rain this weekend. I honestly, that one. It could work because I know it's still feel, new to NASCAR. I feel like they need it because oh, you got to remember we're racing with slicks. But other racing series don't do that. They don't do that in endurance racing. But does uh, so dirt racing run off slicks? Yeah, but when rain comes, it's on the teams to come pit. That's what I'm saying. And it hurt Chase Elliott in that one day total road course race a couple years ago. Yep, they threw out a caution for a rainbow. Yep. It's like uh, it's like uh, the, the story of Passover. Anyways. <laughs> we'll pass you over. <laughs> Anyways, and then my next point. Um, this one it might be a little more controversial. I believe the overtime format has to change on road courses and maybe in general. And I might be—I know I have the Kyle Busch fan in me because of how the Daytona 500 turned out. But if you really think about it, how fair would it have been for Tyler Reddick if he didn't win the race? And I—I I know people are gonna say, well. You got to play by the rules. Yes. You know how the rules are. You know the rules, and so do I. I get that Rick Astley kind of 
you know, mentality. But is it fair that the quality of the racetrack determines your position at the end of the race just because it wasn't a green flag scenario when you took the final lap? I, Think about it. Isn't that getting old? I think, like I said, I think we should bring back the overtime line. You know, it's a bit controversial. I wasn't a fan of it when it happened, but it would be a pretty good idea. As, you still have to come around, but... Especially for the road courses, figure out like a marker at one point of, okay, if Kosh comes out, once this driver hits this marker, that's it. Mm -hmm. Or they can, NASCAR can have the idea of keeping it green. You know what I mean? Rather than making this continuous... I, 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 I get it. They need to be safe, get into safety, and that's understandable. And there's my next point that I almost forgot. But we need a local yellow system in NASCAR. Every other series has one on road courses. IndyCar has one. They, you know, where's NASCAR here? Where's NASCAR training well, their marshals, well, you gotta the track marshals? Why can't they listen to the track marshals, marshals and have some openings for struggling the cars that are ailing on the track? Well, you got to remember for cars that are self-spinning and everything like that, yeah, we're not throwing cautions. We're only throwing cautions for pile-ups or actual full-on racks. Someone that's dropping debris because they don't have an access point to leave the track on. Correct. Because NASCAR, I guess, you know, they, they limit the access points, which I learned. Not a good move. I know Road America was convenient, but Circuit America has a plenty of access points where they can bring the teams to retrieve the car. And maybe we should remove the DVP. I don't want to go off this tangent, but do you see how many rules that NASCAR puts in place that subconsciously hurt the product as the race goes on. Jimmy Johnson didn't get to see any more than the first lap. Neither did Ty Dillon. Neither did any of some of these drivers because of these rules. NASCAR, but they, start, they beat themselves up sometimes. They made this rule so you don't have cars out there being really damaged. Dropping broken. debris. Yeah. Or some kind of cost-saving excuse. But Like Josh Williams. Which, by the way, he ended up having to deal with the race week suspension because he said, look it, and park you on the front street and start finish line. Well, NASCAR certainly knows how their rules blow certain drivers' minds up in, into anger. It's pretty yes. sad. But NASCAR has a good product finally on road courses with this next-gen car. I think what NASCAR needs to do is go beyond just the removing of the stage cautions and try to make the racing a little more practical or be practical in their rules so that we don't have to do it all the NASCAR way. And now everybody, you know what I mean? Aren't we supposed to, you know, expand to greater audiences? Isn't that, you know, why we have all those road courses, road course ringers and these big names? Come on. Like I said, baby steps, baby steps. Baby, baby steps, steps, yes. And I, I think NASCAR has that in their best interest. But overall, it, I think it was a good race. It was a great race. Yeah. Definitely was. All right, so we'll talk about the two races we had on Saturday. We'll get into the Xfinity Series race first. I know not a lot of us were watching that because that was during the uh, the, game. the FAU uh, game against uh, Kansas State in the Elite oh. Eight. But because of A.J. Allmendinger, he made it very easy for us to cover. A.J. takes the win again at Circuit of the Americas for the second year in the row in the Xfinity Series. It's his 16th career win. A.J. Allmendinger led for 28 laps won stage one and did it from the pole 46 lap race but there was a period in the, in the event where he wasn't leading all those laps it was actually Sheldon Creed but the two got together 
And that's when the coast cleared for AJ to finish up the final laps, and he went to victory lane once again. And AJ, the road course king of the Xfinity Series, continues his amazing step feat. That is just crazy. But you know what? He's so good there. Especially in the non-Gen 6 car. Yeah. Or in the non-next gen car. Because he masters the NASCAR body on road courses better than anyone. Yeah, I don't think it's copyright strike. William Byron finished in second, though. I mean, it wasn't a second behind. It was point eight. He he led a lap. Um, third place, Ty Gibbs. Surprising, he didn't lead any laps. Uh, started third. Sammy Smith in fourth. Good run for the Gibbs team. Justin Allgaier, who's solid on the road course, is rounding out the top five. We had Daniel Hemrick, another favorite. I thought he was going to win it. It wasn't meant to be. I still have him from that weird dream I had last week. I still have him winning Road America. Sam Mayer, Josh Berry, uh, Sheldon Creed, who led for 16 laps. And Riley Herbst, another impressive run by the Herbst this year. Brandon Jones in 11th. Chandler Smith in 12th. Miguel Paluto for Junior Motorsports in 13th. Jeremy Clements, you see Alex LeBay driving for everybody's favorite driver, Josh Williams. Uh, Anthony Alfredo, going down the order here. Kaz Grala just ran into trouble multiple times in the race. Same with his teammate, Connor Mosak for Sam Hunt. Uh, going down the order. Eric Elmorola in 24th. We had John Hunter Nemechek, who had early race issues, managed to come home in 27th. Shout out to South Florida's Brad Perez, one of my favorite drivers, and he's a good friend of mine, finishing in 29th. Parker Kligerman, man, poor Parker. Had a good early race car, led a lap, one of the few drivers outside of AJ or Sheldon Creed to lead in the race. Last car to finish on the lead lap, Cole Custer, a bummer for him in 32nd, and then the retirements of Brendan Poole, Brett Moffat, Sage Karam, Preston Parnas, Austin Hill gets a reality check for the first time this year, finishing at 37th. And Carson Hosevar lasted seven laps before his transmission broke. So the next race for the Xfinity Series is um, going to be held at Richmond. So it'll be Saturday at Richmond. So you have the Cup and Xfinity Series will race at Richmond. We also had the truck series. Is that a day race or a night race? Day. Saturday, Sunday. As for the truck series, um, they raced at Texas for two races in a row this year. The first being at Austin. The second being on um, the Oval in Fort Worth. Let's take a look at what happened at Kona. Zane Smith outlasted the cup drivers to win... Um, Zane Smith, last year's champion and winner of the race. Man, if uh, Ross won, it would have been three for three. Yeah. Kind of like uh, if uh, Austin Sitter won the 500. It would have. Yeah. But anyways, Zane Smith taking his ninth career win, second of the year, and extending his championship lead in the process, leading for 16 laps. He didn't win at any of the stages, but he definitely had a great truck, and his margin was five and a half seconds over Kyle Busch, Second place starter, who finished in second. Kyle Busch won in stage two. Ty Majewski led one lap, while Kyle Busch led 12. <coughs> Sorry, it's been up and down this week. Ty Majewski, short track driver, proving it all in the road courses. 
P3 for him. Yes. He's going to jump into the standing. Same with Tyler Ankrum. He, Tyler Ankrum really needed a good race there. And Ross Chastain, the pole sitter, led for 10 laps, but a bad strategy call he never recovered from. P5 for Ross. Corey Hyman, six. How about Nick Sanchez, another good friend of mine from South Florida. Nick Sanchez having a great truck all weekend long. Started fourth, finished seventh. Tanner Green, eighth. Cass Grella and Ben Rhodes running up the top ten. Let me look down the order. Taylor Gray, who is now able to run the rest of the season in that truck as he is 18 years old. Happy birthday to Taylor Gray. Coming home 11th. Grant Enfinger, Raja Karuth. Nice, solid run for him. Had a good early race truck as well, considering he's starting in 20th. Stuart Friesen, Caden um, Honeycutt. We see Haley Deegan. Daniel Dyes. He's got to step it up this year. He's been a really rough start for the GMS driver. Um, Chris Wright um, just ran out of luck the whole weekend. Um, Logan Bearden, a road course ringer for uh, the AM Racing team. Going on the order here. Another disappointing run for Chase Purdy. Let's see. Matt DiBenedetto had no luck there. Was off the lead lap. I think it was the last car to finish the race. Yeah, everyone finished on the lead lap ex that finished the race except for Matt DiBenedetto in 29. Christian Eckes had a suspension failure, though. He won stage one left for three laps. Atlanta, it was a hangover for the Atlanta winner. But shows you how good of a driver he is. Kind of like Austin Hill, you know? Mm -hmm. it's, it's just, you get a bad race, just put it under the rug, move on. Put it in the in the back burner. Parker Kligerman, same with him. Just very unfortunate. He won the Mid-Ohio race last year. He's pretty good on the road courses. Matt Crafton, the veteran in the season, he was involved in an accident that took him out after 11 laps. Carson Hostvar, same with him. Uh, yeah, axle failure. Dean Thompson and Ed Jones, open-wheel driver, IndyCar driver, making his NASCAR debut only lasted the opening lap. So they come back in a few weeks' time. Actually, let me see if it's a few weeks' time because I, I don't have the memory of everything. In It's on April 1st. They'll race at uh, Texas Motor Speedway as part of the IndyCar weekend. So um, they'll be racing on Saturday, April 1st. Um, whether or not I'll be here or many of your friends at FAU will be here, it's up in the air, but they'll be racing um, for 250 miles on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, that's the guy might ditch me to go to Houston. Hey, I'll be in Texas while NASCAR's there in IndyCar, but for another reason. You better bring me back some souvenirs if you go. We'll see about that. I request end at 7, as we said in the podcast. So, so good weekend for Zane Smith. Not a good weekend for the points leader in the Xfinity Series, Austin Hill, but... A superb job by Ross Chastain, who takes over the championship lead in the NASCAR Cup Series. In the Cup Xfinity Series, they go on to the first short track race of the year at Richmond Raceway, Richmond International Raceway. Um, do you think the packages, the new package is going to really play an effect on the short tracks? It's going to be interesting. I, I can't say anything yet. i got to sit, wait and see what happens. Yeah, it should be very interesting. I, I don't know what to expect, honestly. But it should be very entertaining. You know what's going to be entertaining? Uh, some of the upcoming races we're going to talk about, but we still have some other races to go for. 
we had the start of the MotoGP World Championship um, this year. I think it's the 75th running of the MotoGP World Championship. So I'll pull up those stats. They began their season in Portimao for the Portuguese Grand Prix. The 75th running of the FIM Road Racing World Championship season for motorcycles. And um, the top class always shows to impress, but it just seems weird, you know, not having any uh, Suzuki's in it for the first time in a long time. Anyways, uh, it's the first round of 21 races this year. And um, everybody's on the plane or shipping their vehicles to the other side of the globe as we speak. Yeah. We'll see what happens on the upcoming race in uh, in uh, 2023. But in the end, it was Francesco Bagnaia, the last year defending world champion of Grand Prix Motorcycle Racing, as they call him, Pecco Bagnaia, taking home the win in the top class division. For Ducati and the Ducati Lenovo team taking the win. He started first, um, actually second from the grid, but he had to beat out Maverick Vinales by just over half a second to take the win. It was a close one between the Aprilia rider and the Ducati rider, but then some good runs by Marco Bezicci for the Rossi, the VR46 team in Ducati, Johan Zarco for Premac Racing in the Privateer Ducati team. And Grassini's Ducati team from Alex Marquez. And here I'll list the rest of the points paying finishers. Brad Binder, Jack Miller, Fabio Quartararo, the highest Yamaha out of that. Um, I should mention Binder was the highest KTM. The highest Honda. Um, in 10th place, Alex Rince. Ahead of him was Alex Espargaro, John Mir, Takaki Nakagami, Augusto Fernandez. And Franco Morbidelli was the final point paying finisher in the race, taking home two points in the process. So obviously the World Championship matches the race standings. So it looks like Bagnaia picks up exactly where he leaves off. And uh, they go to Argentina this weekend and we'll see if he can keep it up in uh, Buenos Aires. Anyways, 22 races it was supposed to be. I forgot to mention, they removed the finished Grand Prix because that specific location was safety concerns with the current Ukraine situation, but yes. Anyways, Argentine Grand Prix comes up this weekend and then they go, they come to America for round three at Coda. Funny enough. Anyways, let's get into some endurance racing now. Um, because we had the, uh, third, the second round of the 2023, uh, 24H series season after the opening 24 hours of Dubai in January. They went on break until March for the ninth annual Hankook 12 Hours of Mugello. And that was a very interesting race. It's a two-part race. The part one, six hours. Everyone gets to sleep at the same time. They wake up the next morning part two, final six hours, and the increments don't change for laps. If you're on the same lap, you just, everyone's together. But if you're in the, you know, the, the lap differences remain the same. Yes. 
But in the end, it was Haas, our team. Nope, not Gene Haas or any of that related. It's a team from Antigua and Barbuda, taking the win with Matthew Deadstreet, Stefan Perrin, and Frederick Verovich in an Audi. Yes, Audi still will show that they will win in post-cancellation of LMDH era, where all the factory teams have left Audi because they wanted to race Le Mans so badly at WRT and others. So they still have the privateer teams that will drive. They still have some of the drivers that will be there, like the teams like Santilac and um, Land Motorsport, for example. Um, Phoenix Racing, they're still there, you know, fighting for it. Retronic Racing, but other teams like WRT, the really the headliner for Audi, they moved on because of that breach of a plan. 341 laps were complete for the Audi R8. That took the win. A two-lap margin of victory over the number 26 Audi from Santilac Racing with uh, Evran and Bastard, a two-driver pair at 3.39. Then in third place running out the podium was Heart of Racing Team, which we saw not too long ago at Sebring, but they ran an SPS Automotive Performance Mercedes bench instead of an Aston Martin with drivers uh, Gray Newell, Ian James, and Roman DeAngelis at 338 laps. So in the top three were all in their own laps. Two laps behind, we have your Porsche 992 Cup Class Vili Motorsport by Ebi Motors with Sabino Di Castro, Sergio Nicole, and Fabrizio Braghi at 336 laps, finishing fourth overall. Go down the class winners real quick. They, the second place finisher in um, the second place uh, finisher in that class was Red Camel Jordan's NL, which was Fabian Dodds and all the breakers. Evo, Luke, and Rick Borker's father and the two sons making up the family ran team. Um, so it was a dominating run for the class winning Porsche in the 992 Cup class. Then we had Redont Racing, or Red Ant Racing. It's a play on the last name of the team members, Redont. Yes. Um, Century Porsche Ticino, a dealership team around Italy in fourth and fifth place was New Fire Motorsport. Now we continue on... Um, down the order with the other classes. Um, the next class winner is in 23rd overall, way far back in GT4. And it was a close one, but reliability played the role in the end. Atlas BX Motorsports taking the win with uh, Joe Bruines and Kim at 311 laps in their Mercedes AMG GT4. One position beneath them. Oh, I'm so happy to finally talk about them as class winners. GTX class, the custom GT class winners finally win in the most unique looking car that always runs in the 24H series, the Vortex V8, Vortex 1.0, Agrar, Philippe Bonnel, and Leno Arouche, the French custom main manufacturer wins their class and finally runs a race without the consistent memeable reality problems that are real, not reality problems, reliability problems that hinder them each and every race. And they do it in fashion. They finish it with a three-lap difference because the car behind them was the 702 Vortex coming home 1-2 in the GTX class. And it was a pretty competitive GTX class, too. There were five entries there. So they definitely earned this one. Going down the order, the TCE division winner and TCX class winner from Primus Racing, a team out of ran by owner driver Peter Larson, running a BMW M2CS out of uh, Sweden, all Swedish pair of Henning Rosen and Peter Larson himself 
at 295 laps, winning the TCA Plus and the TCE division. Um, continuing on uh, down the order, the TC class victory, the touring car class was, was also won by BMW M2 CS Racing entry from Hofer Racing by Bonk Motorsport with Michael Bonk himself, Peter Krull from Hofer Racing, and the Pardo brothers <clears throat> making up that at 31st overall at um, 293 laps. Good run for them. And then the TCR class winner finished 34th overall at Aoka Racing. From a team owned by Sandro Palati with uh, Baldan, Caron, Barberi, and Girolami at 255 laps and 34th overall. That's your last of the class winners. We saw a lot of reliability issues in this race. CP Racing, for example, they crashed in the last hour of the first part of the race. Herbert Motorsport had a mechanical failure. We saw problems with Kessel Racing and Ferrari. Um, their 488 had problems from the very start. Had to start from the rear. Um, Heart of Racing had issues. Haas RT was really the only team that didn't have issues. Even the Centilla car that finished second had problems. So it shows you that endurance racing, you know, every lap matters. Every position counts. And um, so, yeah, congratulations for the team, especially coming out of Antigua and Barbuda, if I say that name right. It's a very small country with very minimal racing background. Before we talk about this week's events, we'll also go into the ARGA East Series opener that happened at Five Flags Speedway in um, Pensacola, Florida, home of the famous Snowball Derby that's held at uh, every first week of December. William Sawalich, a young teenager who is a Toyota factory driver for uh, from Joe Gibbs Racing. High school kid comes into this, leads every single lap from the pole, gets the fastest lap, leads all the laps, and wins in his ARCA East debut. He had a hold off, um, who's the guy uh, from that finished second in that race? He won the Singer Nationals. It was, to be honest, I really don't remember because I didn't Yeah, that was during that, the FAU game. Yeah, because I never got the chance to watch the Arca race. Luke Fenhouse, that's his name. Luke Fenhouse. And there wasn't too many entries as well, to be fair. I think it was about like 15 cars that showed up, and one few of them had problems right at the get-go. But I think the next race is at Nashville Fairgrounds. I might have, or it could be on the Cup Companion weekend. I know Dover has the race. and Arca East 2023. Before I also forget... Salem is... Wait, no, that's... I don't know why I'm looking at Sam. I'm looking at this September 30th. Do we also mention about Kenny Wallace making his SRX debut? Yes, Kenny Wallace! Oh, I was waiting for that to happen. It's about time. Bring him in. Let's go. That's going to be awesome to see. Absolutely. So I was wrong. The next race is not Nashville. It's Dover. That's April 28th. It'll yeah. be part of the NASCAR Cup weekend. I'm sure there'll be a lot more entries than what we saw at Pensacola. And then they go to the Nashville Fairgrounds. They'll go to Flat Rock. And the last four races will be with the main ARCA series as well at Iowa, Indy Raceway Park, Milwaukee Mile, and Bristol Motor Speedway. So, yeah. And also, good luck to my buddy, LeVar Scott. He he had a nice top five effort in his um, first race in his campaign, driving for Rev Racing. Let's talk about this weekend. So this weekend, we have a big schedule on our hands. Um, 
Not much with endurance racing, but a lot with Grand Prix racing. A lot with supercars. We got NASCAR. We have all three series of racing this weekend with the Cup and Xfinity Series in Richmond. The trucks will be with IndyCar at Texas Motor Speedway, at least for the, those teams. Don't, let's have to get the new car, trucks out. Yep. It's going to be too much of a hassle for those that brought, you know, your different configurations in the same trip. Um, IndyCar, round two of the season, first oval at Texas Motor Speedway. And then the land down under, a lot of action is going to take place this weekend with the Australia Grand Prix. Not only are we going to have Formula One, not only are we going to have the Supercars Championship weekend with all of their companion events, four races total for the main series of Supercars, but we're also going to see Formula Two make its debut in the land down under. In Melbourne. That's going to be fun. Albert Park's a fun track. It's a place, it's one of those places you just want to be at. Yes. It's a fun street circuit. There's so much going on and the action. It's so, like, the, the, the good vibes always come from that specific race weekend. And I'm excited about that. Um, oh, by the way, Formula E, congratulations on J- Jake Dennis. He took the win. So, let's start with NASCAR. We have our first short track of the season. Um, <laughs> even though it's not our first race with a short track package, this is the actual short track, you know. Yep. Richmond was interesting in the last time. Uh, race we had. I think Kyle Busch is going to win the cup race. I think it's me, Kyle Busch. I think it's going to be the guy that's from Virginia who always seems to do well in Denny Hamlin. Might be. I mean, he was the first to master this package. And the, and the, the other front runners were, I think it was William Byron and Alex Bowman Why, and Kevin Harvick. So far, it seems like Byron got this car figured out. So he's got to be up there this Yeah, season. I don't I know. You know, I'm curious to see where this puts Byron after um, the penalty, because, you know, the penalty sent him to 29th, heading into Coda. Coming out of Coda, he should have. Doesn't matter. Well, that's true, because NASCAR has a really weird points for him. Again, doesn't matter. Well, he Byron's up to 22nd. Again, doesn't matter, because he's in the... <laughs> yeah, and they, they scrapped the top 30 rule. It's like NASCAR, you know, it's like kind of funny how they do these things. Yeah, but with him, he could recover easily, no matter what, he's... We have the the PPG 375 at Texas. We'll talk about that in a bit. Who do we have winning the cup the cup race and the Xfinity race now? We don't really know the full entries for Xfinity, but we know for cup, you see Kyle Byron Boy. winning. No, or no, you Boy. see Kyle Busch winning. Probably Byron finished. Something that. I see Denny Hamlin. This is where Hamlin starts to get good in, good in the year, especially with the next-gen car. This is where he really turned it around in 2022. This is a Hamlin track. Could be a plot to us. We could just all see Martin Truex Jr. win yet. Yes. Haven't we forgotten the year that he that he swept the races at Richmond? You did. I haven't. Time flies. There's another driver, Martin Truex Jr. This could be his place, and this could also be Ke- uh, Kevin Harvick's place too. We'll see what happens here. Because remember, at Phoenix, that package Harvick had this race won about until the, you know, I already ranted about that earlier, but the overtime. Anyways, <laughs> there's just so many favorites in this one. I would be wrong to rule out Kyle Busch. I would be wrong wrong to rule out Kyle Larson. We could also be wrong to rule out William Byron, how he's been going so far yeah. this season. Especially Byron. He's just hot, fast. Yes. Anyways, 
Now let's talk about the Xfinity Series. Austin Hill finally has his first bad race of the season. Um, short tracks, I think about guys like Josh Berry. I think about Algar. I think, Sam Mayer. I think Berry's going to do it. We got to go with the Berry. At least for me. Josh Berry, I think he's got it too. But what about Sam Mayer? Mm, I don't think so. Well, Even let's tell him Junior Motorsports stand by. I really don't think so. It's not this one? Nah. I think we have to see a more shorter track like Martinsville for him to shine. Yes. So I'll, I'll take Josh Berry on that one. You'll take him as well. Now let's talk about the truck series. I, again, you kind of want to wait on the entry list because they yeah. have a lot of those part-time drivers in the good cars. But the truck series are racing at um, Texas Motor Speedway. And I think they rate two appearances. I, I might be wrong. I don't know. And for now, we'll talk about what we had this weekend. Remember, Stuart Friesen won last year in the spring. Yep. And a lot of people ruled him out on that. And I think Stuart Friesen has what it takes. I honestly think it's going to be a nerf front row win. And Zane Smith. Yes. Seems like every different track that comes up, Zane Smith has mastered it. Yes. You know, I'm going to go with a, more of a veteran. Someone who has won a championship before, who is also part... No, who is part of a Forge team. He's not Matt Crafton. No, he's not. Ben Rhodes. I think this is a track that's going to suit him. Ben Rhodes, he's been the quiet threat this year. Even last year, he almost won his second title in a row. I'm going to go with the Kentucky native of Ben Rhodes. New father, by the way. By the way, while we're talking about it, what about for Texas? Who you got for Texas for IndyCar? We're going to talk about that right now. Because the... Ovals are going to have a whole different compartment. Most of the races are you have know, been on the road courses and street circuits. You know the ovals; they're not as many. It's outweighed by the other kinds of tracks. But with Texas Motor Speedway, it's the first of ovals, and then after that, it's the Indianapolis 500. Two Iowa races on the same weekend. Um, we have Gateway, and that's pretty much it for the ovals. So who we got for Texas for you? We're gonna take a look at what's here and uh, try to make a good prediction. Last year was all ruled by Penske. It was a duel between the Penske cars of Scott McLaughlin and Joseph Newgarden, and Newgarden ecked them out at the end. And I'm gonna think that the same thing is gonna happen here, and that. Joseph Newgarden is going to win it again at Texas. He's just so good here. You, can already, you already know who my pick would be. You got Elio. Yep. But if that had come down to my second pick, it would be Newgarden. Yeah. That's my second favorite driver for IndyCar. Once good old Castro Nevis retired, damn straight, I'm jumping over to Newgarden. I haven't been a big fan of Scott McLaughlin since he took over the three car, so... <laughs> I don't know why. I just haven't been a big fan of his. We'll see what happens. It's going to be an interesting race. Um, and then let's talk about all the action that's going to happen in the land down under. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. The Supercars Championship kicked off not too long ago at a very kind of controversial beginning at, uh, at Newcastle. But now we have round week two of 12 which comprises of rounds two, uh, no, rounds three, four, five, and six 
of the 28 race calendar. Um, the Melbourne 400, which is part of the um, part of the F1 weekend. I'm just going to say, you know, some drivers. I'm going to pick some four drivers that I think will be a threat this time around. Obviously, Shane Van Giesbergen. Obviously. Obviously. Shane Van Giesbergen is going to be there. Second of all, I think is we're going to see uh, a lot of Cam Waters. He's really good. This is the kind of track that suits in the street circuit. The semi-ish street circuit because it feels more like a traditional track. Will Davison, you have to have that veteran experience in him. And, of course, how could I not say Brody Kostecki? Brody Kostecki is definitely going to be there in this event. But I think the best driver all weekend long is going to be Shane McGeesbergen. He'll take over the championship lead. But now let's get into Formula One. Uh, Formula One. Formula Uh. Yep. Formula Uh. Formula Uno. Uno? We're playing Uno now? Yeah. I, I, I forgot where my deck of Uno cards went. Well, we got final. The third round of the Formula One World Championship, the 23-race World Championship, takes us to the uh, Australian Grand Prix in Melbourne. And the Australian Grand Prix was an interesting one because of how Charles Leclerc walked off with it last year, but I just don't see it happening again. Can't answer that one. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. You never know because everything changes so suddenly every at the end of every season. Anyways, Red Bull has been perfect. I think that there might be some tensions within the teammates. Yes. And with that said, this is going to be a popular one. Fernando Alonso. Fernando Alonso, the two-time world champion, is going to get in his 33rd career win. Finally, after Spain 2013, the drought will come to an end. Alonso will win it. It's, it's, it's going to be a popular one, damn it. And I'll stay up late and enjoy all of it. I That's think you will. If I can dream, damn it. No, you can't. Whether it's I'm going to watch that from a hotel in Texas or at home, you're not going to see me falling asleep through that one. Doubt it. We'll, we'll sneak some melatonin into your drink. Man, oh man. Night, night. <laughs> <laughs> but look at the time. We are getting a little bit close to the end. Um, unfortunately, I, we, I wasn't able to uh, go to the watch party on Saturday because I was dealing with a lot of schoolwork. There was one little watch party on Saturday. I was able to watch it with you. Yeah, but there was no watch party at the school. Yes, there was. We were there on Thursday when they faced uh, yeah, the Yeah, but they didn't post anything about watch party at the school. No, but I, I like their system, though. Eat all the food outside and yes. then go into the big auditorium when it's game time. And have a good, have a blast. And you know what? I love the school spirit. This is incredible. Every single step of the way that they're going here in March Madness is just Phenomenal. Then the final four. Who would have thought they, we were even going to make it this far? I thought we'd be lucky just to win a game. I thought we were going to lose against Tennessee. Anyways, um, big time shout out. Congratulations to the Owls. Uh, and we're rooting you on. And 
Is it April third the championship game? Yes, yeah, so April fir- April first. You pl- uh, they play on April first on Saturday. Saturday. Both teams or the final four teams are playing Saturday, and then April third will be the championship. That's game. on Monday. Yep. If for some reason I'm not here for the next podcast, we will put it off on a Tuesday or Wednesday. We'll probably have it on Wednesday. Wednesday, Wednesday would probably be a lot better. Yeah, because of my class. But um, anyways, who knows what's going to happen between now and then. But we'll keep you posted on whether we're going to have that episode on Monday. If I'm on town, we'll do it Monday. If not, uh, then we'll be on Wednesday. And we'll see what happens. And uh, go Owls. Go Owls. Let's kick some San Diego ass. And let's get our way to the championship game on Monday. For Steve Rada, I'm Joe Lanny Pavlon, signing off from another episode of the Below the Yellow Line podcast. Have See a, you next week. Have a good night. Owl Radio is FAU's student-run radio station streaming worldwide on FAUOwlRadio.com. We have shows, DJ on-campus events, give away free concert tickets, and more. Make sure to check us out on social media at FAU Owl Radio.